0: It's the greatest lost tweet of our generation.
1: (laughs) You can think of us as just ducks being force-fed, right?
2: If you just sit there in your comfort zone, we're all going to just die. Welcome to Tagline. Pour a cocktail and join us for
3: inspired conversations with the best storytellers, culture makers, and creators. Presented by our friends at Bullet Frontier Whiskey. Please drink responsibly.
0: My boss tells me that you sleep well if you're either good or you're stupid. He said, what about you? I said, I don't sleep well.
3: Tagline is produced by iHeartRadio in partnership with Advertising Age.
0: Hi, I'm um, welcome to Tagline. I'm Rob Norman. I'm the chairman of Group M North America. And it's great to be back. I have wonderful guests today, the renaissance man and media entrepreneur, Paul Wilmington, the CEO of Canvas Worldwide, more about which in a second, and Vivian Rosenthal, the founder of Snaps, a media entrepreneur, one of the original Google entrepreneurs in residence. And in a little while, we're going to be joined by Mr. Met himself, Ian Schaefer, the founder and CEO of Deep Focus who we believe to be held up for 15 minutes in spring training before opening day here at Tagline. And hello, both of you.
1: Hello.
2: Hello, Robbie. That's so good.
0: Robbie, you see, that's what comes from being close. I am the godfather of Paul's son, and he is the godfather of my dog, which is unusual but true. Today we're going to talk about an interesting topic. We're going to talk about creativity and the feed. And when we talk about the feed, we talk about the place where people are spending more and more of their time in the Instagram world and the Facebook world and the Snapchat world and the Twitter world. And an area that presents kind of huge opportunities for advertisers and brands and huge challenges for creative people. And I'm hoping that this group of people are going to be able to help all of us understand the feed a bit better and understand what makes for outstanding content and great user as well as advertiser experiences. Now, I'd like to start with you, Vivian, because you do something that very few other people do.
1: Well, you're maybe alluding to the fact that we're building chatbots to allow people to talk to brands, which is even going one step beyond the feed, actually. So we might be jumping ahead. But you're also probably referring to the fact that we're creating branded emojis and stickers, which we're doing in droves. When we think about like how the ad unit has evolved, it's clearly an opportunity to see it evolve in social, but also now in the messaging space. If we think about the feed, the feed is going to be something that started off pretty narrow, both literally and sort of and metaphysically, and it's going to be something that is actually very all-encompassing, right? I think there's many pros and many cons to that. So that's something I want to dig into for sure.
0: Okay. Paul, so you are responsible for, among other things, the uh, Hyundai and uh, Kia brands at Canvas Worldwide. The automotive industry, if it's been famous for one thing... It's been famous for long television spots and huge print ads and huge billboards. How do you think about this much sort of narrower canvas (laughs) Uh Uh, in the
2: context of the brands you work with? Let me try and level set a bit of the context. We, whether it's the auto industry, almost every other industry has a lot of muscle memory. And I think Vivian said ad unit. And I think what we were doing was we were always chasing trying to change consumer behavior because we're still in that mindset, as it was 10 years ago, that two-thirds of communication was controllable and therefore ad units the way that you did it. Whereas actually, if you look at today, two-thirds of people's consumption is the opposite. It's actually much more organic. It's not controlled. Help me, help me with
0: then, that a second. Yeah. I mean, that's one of those kind of great statements. Yeah, It used to be two-thirds like this, and now it's
2: two-thirds like that. Come on, bit of data. So the data thing, I think all I was going to say is that we've got to change brand behavior rather than changing consumer behavior. The net output was let's try and change consumer behavior through communications. But now I think we have to think about how brands behave in these environments. So even when we talk about standardizing ad units, what we're trying to do is invade feeds and invade spaces with, as you said, repurposed television ads, as opposed to thinking about the feed and a lot of other communication channels in much more inventive... So in the, in the much beloved
0: and iconic first episode of Tagline, which I think is now collectible in certain <laughs> quarters, Wendy Clark, who is iconically the first guest, said that we have to be invited into people's homes and into people's lives and earn permission to do that Do we need to be invited to people's feeds and earn our way into that? Yeah, I mean,
1: I'm thankful to see consumer behavior changing it. I think they're really judicious in what they want to see. And I only want to see a brand in my feed if it's providing some value to me, right? And that value, you could ascribe many different features to it. So it could be some type of learning or education. It could be some type of utility. It could be some type of commerce opportunity, or it could be entertainment. But to me, if it doesn't fall in one of those three categories of value, I'm not particularly interested, right? And I think this is true, particularly with a younger audience that are more interested in brands that have some value that is accretive to their life. Part of it is that the types of brands that we're going to see in our feed are going to be more curated by sort of their values.
2: But the interesting thing is that the vast majority of marketing will crash a feed, But I think the beauty of crashing it is it's just like that nerd who crashes a party gets very drunk but still is incredibly funny. Mm -hmm. So that's what you want to be as opposed to the sad person who crashes the party, (laughs) not invited, and spoils it. Um, But I think the truth of the matter is, although I agree with Wendy and I agree with, with Vivian, at the end of the day there's the great unwashed there who are crashing every feed and crashing every social. How do you stand out in that environment? But I think it touched you touched on it to that
1: it's like, if you crash a party, you better damn be funny, right? Yeah. But the problem is not every brand's DNA is to be funny. Yeah. So it begs the question, okay, well, if you're not funny, then what are you? Provide some other kind of value. You will welcome in a stranger if they're valuable to the party, right? So I, I think a brand has to think about and their agency of record who they're working with, how am I going to be valuable, Right.
0: So, if you talk to some of the big operators of feeds, like Facebook, Mm -hmm. they will tell you that the key to the puzzle is relevance, and that their job, which they do with machine learning and supercomputer power, is to make trillions and many trillions of decisions every day that matches ads with people's feeds, and that the key... Signal that they're looking for is relevance to connect the user or the Mm -hmm. consumer of the feed with the ad. And they would argue, interestingly, that what will happen is that the most relevant ads will be the ones that are surfaced most frequently. And so when you're thinking about it creatively, how do you think about the concept of relevance that, helps that algorithm that's driving that match of feed and ad to surface your client's ad's yeah. most effectively.
1: So we actually coined a term for this um, at my company. We call it intelligent messaging, but it's delivering the is right... Your
0: company is Snap, It correct? is okay. Not it's, Snap, singular.
1: No, that um, would be even better. But, be better, but, but it? that would be better. But no, that would be maybe... In okay. a future lifetime. So we call it intelligent messaging, which is delivering the right piece of content to the right person at the right time at the right place. Right. It's
0: reinvented. I am. <laughs> exactly. I remember I am.
1: Yes. If something doesn't have contextual relevance, you're really missing the boat. If you had the Venn diagram, it's like, you know, something that's contextually relevant crossed with something that adds value to me is the sweet spot. You know, that's the opportunity, I think, both with the feeds and even if we look at what we're doing now in chatbots as just another feed, right? So these are chatbots that sit on top of Facebook Messenger. It's, in essence, another feed, another space for a brand. I think that people will respond to things if they're pertinent, right? So as an example, we did a chatbot for Bud Light and they were sponsoring the NFL. And so it would ask me, Viv, where do you live? Who's your favorite team? Just two pieces of information. So if I say the New York Giants... New York, it goes away, becomes invisible, but then two hours before game time, it will send me a text notification saying like, are you stocked up on Bud Light? And by the way, don't forget to tune in and watch the Giants in two hours. So I'd say like, no, I need Bud Light. It kicks me out to mini bar Drizzly and I get beer delivered to my door within kickoff time. I mean, that's a very contextually based experience that was very successful and there was very, very high completion rate of like clicking through that funnel because it was providing value.
0: Okay. Okay. So that's a version of relevance. Pause. So I can kind of get Bud and the circumstantial nature of a football game. For some reason, I don't know why, but it seemed to me that advertisers worked out quite a long time ago that men like football, like beer. QED, advertise beer in football games, um, <laughs> which is kind of a pre-science notion that still holds up quite well. But as you know, Mark Pritchard and his noted speeches at the IAB and the ANA said not long ago that advertisers actually in the era of digital and oversupply and massive consumption of media have fallen into the crap trap that too many people are producing too much rubbish. And so in your world, and particularly Mm -hmm. with your range of clients, where rubbish is not a good idea, how do you think about that kind of quality and relevance
2: when you don't have that immediate contextual opportunity of men beer football yeah but one thing i think it's important to remember whether or not we fall into the crap trap there was always a crap trap 95 percent of all tv ads as voted by consumers and probably most creative directors would be deemed crap or And as so- said <laughs> it's a crap trap and you've been caught and you've been <laughs> caught <Yeah. laughs> the boomtown rats yeah, absolutely. Well, that's the, that's the beauty. Well, The first thing I think is that early adopters, whether you're crap or not, get this violent reaction against in a new platform, but also you get huge engagement just because you're early to it. And then there seems to be this cycle of adoption and IBA standardization. Mm-hmm. And then what that does is it, it exponentially increases crap. Because you standardize everything in order to scale it, oh, so, but to scale the crap. So let me. And so so that's interesting. So what <laughs> you're saying is that when a
0: new platform emerges, the instant reaction of its users is to reject advertising, but be
2: very engaged in it. But that, be very engaged, uh, and arguably, it can be quite effective. Right.
0: At you, you which know. point, yeah. a well-meaning industry body. Normally, <laughs> multilaterally, from the supply side, the buy side, the technology side, then determine standards to operate in that platform but actually what standards do is allow for the
2: exponential multiplication of crap. Is that what you're saying? I am. And I think the banner ad would be the prime example of that in its form today and its whole history. That keeps popping up. And it keeps yeah. popping up, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean... But no, coming back to the question. <laughs> By the way, I'm very excited about what's about to happen here on Tagline. Very simple. but carry on. Just excited. It's, yeah. I think the idea of contextually relevant, 100% agree with. I think you can take it too literal a form, and I think some people take it to an extreme, and that's where I think the human creative power of then an AI Mm -hmm. uh, has to be in there, because sometimes there's serendipity that you do, and that's an art form still, so it's the balance of the art and the science of anything, otherwise, you know, the machine would run it. I do want to bring back one of my favorite sport pieces of content that was for social was for Heineken. And, funny enough, they have been leaning more into sport. And it just so happens that you keyed me up. Okay. And we're going to be back okay, okay. just in one second. Okay. Because
0: in the on-deck circle, playing first base and batting number three for tagline, we have Ian Schaefer, the founder of Deep Focus, joining sorry. Paul Warmington from Canvas Worldwide and Viv Ian Rosenthal from Snaps. Hello, Ian.
3: Hello, sorry. I, uh... We're... I purposely made a Kramer-like entrance. We're, I need to yeah. let Paul talk
0: for a little bit. We're super happy to have you. Welcome. Very, very, happy to be here. We're talking you. about creativity in the feed. Sorry, Paul. So, no, back so to I, Heineken
2: and sports. No, so it was just, I couldn't resist. You teed it up. Heineken, they obviously sponsor a lot of sport. Champions League being a, a particularly big event around the world, everywhere apart United States, and they just have created some wonderful content. And there was a particular Italian agency created a beautiful piece of long form content that I can't think sat in the feed. I even got it, Mm -hmm. uh, and it was retranslated. It was a spoof on a guy who watches a football match with his friends. He then gets an invite to go to the game, but he doesn't tell his friends. He goes to the game, and of course, they broadcast it in the stadium. With his buddies saying, what the hell are you doing? You know, but it was a wonderful, just one of many that they're doing. And it's long form that was very relevant to, I think, passions of fans and things like that. It tickled my fancy. But I think it's another great example of a marketeer being adept to understanding they have to change their brand behavior, be a bit braver, and in some ways be invited into the conversation Mm -hmm. rather than try and push a message.
3: It's scary, though, when they have to compete against the likes of Fox Sports and ESPN to produce relevant sports content for the sports fan. And no, by the way, they also have to sell beer.
2: Yeah. Does anyone remember Bud TV, by the way?
3: Oh, yes. (laughs) Yeah. But but that's because no one wants to go anywhere for it, right? The content needs to find everywhere. And I think that's the complexity of creativity and the feed is filled with stuff we've opted in to see. And then yet, how does an advertiser survive in that river? Which is interesting because
0: the notion of the advertiser content channel, and there have been many, and Bud TV is one, and the Coca-Cola company has been engaged in that kind of area, and there have been a few others. Do you think we've finally seen the end of that particular notion that brand as publisher to that degree is a
3: sustainable idea? Yeah. No, because I think that there are some brands out there that are going to believe that they're diminishing returns in their core product, and that they're such great lifestyle marketers that they're going to be able to actually compete in the content business as production costs come down by selling even maybe like direct subscriptions via some kind of like over-the-top
1: Yeah, And and we've seen that done well Mm -hmm. by some brands, right? Mm -hmm. And it's... Like who?
2: I think um, Burberry do a phenomenal job, Burberry World. And if you talk about music, people go to the site to watch acoustic sets and will stay 27 minutes on the Burberry World site Listening to music, watching music videos, but it's a totally integral part of their brand. Their yeah, brand it's the and it's with, content, and I think they do particularly a, yeah, a fantastic I, job. That's a good illustration. Yeah, similarly,
1: well. I was thinking of GoPro when I fly Virgin. I actually often find myself choosing the GoPro channel over other channels, which RIP is a, Virgin. Yeah, um, <laughs> because it's like phenomenally shot action sports content, right? But again, that's a more immersive experience. Uh,
3: Time to take a break with our friends from Bullet Frontier Whiskey. Please drink responsibly. As some of
0: you know, our sponsor here at uh, Tagline is none other than Bullet Whiskey. And this is theater of the mind we're talking about here. We have our guest mixologist who joins us during Tagline. He's actually the world champion mixologist from 2013. He's been a judge kind of since then. So he sort of went the other side and he's here to say hi introduce himself and maybe mix a drink
4: yeah i'm jeff bell so today uh we partnered up with uh, bullet bourbon to serve you guys the yuzu palmer uh it is spring according to the calendar but not the weather outside so we were a little ambitious with the drink inspired by the arnold palmer lemonade and iced tea we use a sweet tea syrup made by some friends of mine in, in charleston south carolina with some fresh yuzu juice Bullet whiskey and soda. It's
0: fair to say this is the first year that people have been able to serve Arnold Palmers when Arnold Palmer wasn't still alive. And I think we should take a moment for
4: yeah.
0: Arnold on that. But I see this as a fitting tribute.
4: Yeah, it is a tribute.
0: Good. What do we think? It's, it's delicious. It's delicious. You see? Jeff, you're the guy.
4: You well, always were. Well, I appreciate it. Now I can sleep well tonight. I'm sure you will. My <laughs> boss tells me that you
0: sleep well if you're either good or you're stupid And he said, what about you? I said, I don't sleep well, which (laughs) happens to be true because I didn't want to (laughs) commit either way. Um, Will you
4: be back later? I'll, I'll be back whenever you need me. Fantastic.
0: Yeah, thank you. My kind of mixologist. Yeah, thank you. You don't just make these cocktails kind of randomly. You're a kind of subject matter mixologist, right?
4: Yeah, I think there's a t- there's a time and place for every cocktail. You know, when I come on to do tagline with you guys, I try to come up with something new that's that's relevant to what you bright minds are speaking about. So the the subject today being the feed. I wanted to bring something that was really like uh, aesthetically pleasing, and it's really easy for me to say that on radio because no one can see that and prove me wrong. It's garnished with fresh mint, super green, none of the leaves are wilted or anything like that. And the feed for me is that we're kind of subjected to the consumers. We get between 150 and 200 people a day, which means that. 150 to 200 people a day could take a picture of a cocktail. That cocktail then shows up in their feed, in their friend's feed, and if they're influencers, like it goes on exponentially. This is kind of like a grassroots marketing for a small business is – you know, making sure that if you serve a cocktail in a dimly lit space on a soiled cocktail napkin with limes that were cut yesterday, you're gonna be doing a disservice to your bar, and you're slowly gonna plummet it down, and that's gonna be a reflection of the product you serve. But if you, you know, you source your ingredients, use everything fresh, prepare things all a minute, that kind of thing, you create photo moments for people. I guess I'm mainly talking about Instagram, but it's a little detail that takes a lot of extra work.
0: So you're talking about what we would call return on experience. So if you give people a great experience, they're going to share it and come back,
4: right? Yeah, we are held accountable by social media. as almost an extension of Yelp or Google reviews or anything like that, which we like to read. But with social media, it's whether they have good words or bad words to say. If the photo's awful, the drink looks awful, and then it has this kind of sour experience of the bar. So the goal is to make everything as attractive as possible for photo moments. And, you know, moving forward with designing new restaurants and bars, you take into account the way the light comes in from the windows, the kind of lights you use over the bar. You almost need to idiot-proof the photography set for your consumers.
3: The story that you just told is actually quite interesting because the same way that you're thinking about making sure that your environment looks good in other people's photos, those other people are making sure that they're going to an environment that looks good in their photos. So every person literally to a person, it seems like these days, are thinking about themselves in some ways as a small business. And they may not actually be selling things, although many of them are. Um, Brand me. They're trying to build their social capital, their net worth. They're projecting a version of themselves that they want people to believe they are. Which, by the way, is like everybody's client. Every brand that's out there human or otherwise, is projecting an image of who they want to be perceived as. And we want to believe that social media is lifting the veil of transparency in front of everything. But I think it's actually clouded. I think it's added to the lack of transparency that exists out there, because you've got a lot of people, again, behaving a certain way to be perceived a certain way, as opposed to for who they really are. And that's really deep. And I apologize. for.
0: Thank you. And a big cheers to Jeff and to Bullet for looking after us today. Jeff, Thank Great you. to see you. Thank now, you so ma'am. much, guys. Thank Great you. to see you again. See you, you next you. time. Thank you. Thank you, Bullet. <laughs> Don't you go changing. Making friends on the new frontier. Grab some bullet, the spirit's here. Yeah. Write the story, have no fear. All the borders disappear. There we go.
4: Bullet Frontier Whiskey. Please drink responsibly.
0: So I habitually quote Jefferson and Churchill, Karl Marx from time to time. Um, And and, and of course, Ian Schaefer. And my favorite Ian Schaefer quote was, I've never seen a skip button on an ad that I didn't love. Mm -hmm. And so, Paul, when you're thinking about the automobile market, Uh, and how do you prevent people in the way you think about it, not using the skip button or not Xing out of their feed because I don't want this ad anymore. What kind of processes do you go through with yeah. their client and your
2: creative partners to get that? Great question. I'll give you an illustration. So I view someone like Amazon as a feed. It's not a formal feed, but it's something that's digitally enabled. It sits there. It's an application. And I go to it. We did a partnership, so Hyundai, we were the first and we have exclusive in category and we are offering Prime Now, Drive Now. So essentially, media became a service. So the service was, you could go to Amazon Prime and we were obviously feeding through the data the people that we thought were most likely to want to test drive an Elantra and they could actually test drive it when they wanted, where they wanted and how they wanted it, if they scheduled it. So we did that. It was an absolute blast success. I think you're playing fast and loose with my definition yeah. of the feed. Yeah. I'm just saying. No, but I mean, you know. there's no skip button there. But that's the point is there's no skip button. That's the future, I think, of a lot of digital communications. You talked about utilities and service. To me, the best form of service in this consumer-driven world is fantastic service. I mean, a fantastic service is the proof point of the brand was we're going to do it better. So you don't have to go to the dealership if you don't want to go to the dealership. Now, if we could do more of that in a Facebook environment, if we could do more of that in a Snapchat environment, that's what I would welcome. And and that's what I'm striving to do, how we can improve service and utility and other aspects of the business.
1: You can think of us as just consumers as just ducks being force fed, right? That's sort of like one way to look at it. And the other way to look at it is like the ducks that have sort of broken out and are like, I'm going to go figure out my own life and I'm going to make a life for myself that I choose. You know, maybe I'm going to be vegan or who knows what. I think there's also this idea that people want to be able to have choice. They want to be able to opt into something. And I think the problem with the feed and maybe the reason why none of us are necessarily coming up with great examples for the feed and we're pointing to other things is because there's this element of the feed you can't choose, right? Like if you want to be on social media, then you sort of have to bow down to the feed. And then that means that along with it comes all the advertising. What we're seeing with the advent of choice is that people are choosing selectively to engage with brands they really care about. So to me, the opportunity for a brand is potentially to extricate themselves out of the feed and come back into a person's life in a different way, in a sort of unexpected way. That's
0: kind of a very reassuring sort of social thought. However, my general experience of advertisers is that they spend money when they see a return on the money. And there is no doubt that Facebook, in particular, within the feed space with Instagram and now with Messenger also, is... Like the Dyson vacuum of money. It must be being effective. And the only way that the advertisers are seeing effectiveness is if they're getting a return of some description or another. And so there is a kind of a bit of a paradox because if it was that unwelcome and people had made the Faustian bargain that they wanted to be (laughs) on Facebook yet had to deal with the advertising, they would just reject the advertising and then advertisers would reject Facebook. But that doesn't seem to have happened.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I think we live in a consumer-driven culture, right? That's all about consuming. The other night I was watching a a film called Minimalism, a documentary. Mm. I don't know if anyone's seen it, but it makes a really... Is it very short? (laughs) It actually should be shorter. I would agree with that. Good joke. It's interesting. It makes the point that we should be much more judicious in terms of the brands we let into our lives, in terms of the people we let into our lives, in terms of everything, right? And I think that as a culture, I actually think that that's a really big underground movement that's happening. And so while you're absolutely right, of course, Facebook and Google and others mint money, but I think that there is inevitably often a backlash. Let's just say the ads don't work. I know I'm very specific about what ads I'll engage with, right? And it comes back to what I said before. It's like the brand has to offer some value to my life. It has to be creative in some way. If it is, then I don't even see it as an ad. I actually see it as like content that I want to know about
0: so you think about yourself and you think about minimalism and i imagine that we have some shared values the people in this room and there are other people that would say well you may be a little bit on the coastal elite side of the equation and we've had an incredible prominence for feed-based environments in the last six months of our collective lives and how they've influenced some very, very big decisions and some very big moves in opinion in our society and in our country. And I'm curious, how smart are the people that are creating the influence politically, and how are they using the feeds to such extraordinary effect by most people's estimation?
3: But having gone to school in Washington, D.C., (laughs) With an eye towards like, having a political career, I could tell you I chose the less nasty of the professions. If you want to look at where there's less friction, I mean, at least in advertising, Fortune tends to favor the frictionless buying process. In politics, the Fortune tends to favor the frictionless, like, believing process. And so bad news travels very fast. Fake news travels even faster. When you tell people what they want to hear, they're not only going to share it, but they're going to opt into it. And I think that's why you see the ratings that, you know, a partisan news channel would have. When someone sees something that justifies a belief that they have, regardless of whether it's fact or fiction, they're going to share it because it validates, again, a belief that they have and doesn't make them feel lonely anymore. That dynamic doesn't really exist in advertising because that's a very transactional Some, place.
0: Someone said to me this morning, actually you know, a group of people that didn't say it to me, they said that confirmation and affirmation are much easier to deal with than information.
3: We're in a place where information doesn't necessarily have to be fact. And most information is noise and whatever we choose to be signal is what we pull out of it, <laughs>
2: right? Right. Yeah, I, I love that. The alliteration also says delegation, because I think in a lot of social feeds, people delegate the important to the ephemeral, and I think there's enough psychology... Delegate or relegate? Delegate and relegate, okay. yeah. They're Something relegating, seemed. delegating... Welcome to, <laughs> to alliteration. To, this is important to, I think, understand the psychology of a lot of people go to feeds to lessen stress to kind of fill in gaps. I mean, there's a lot of psychology around that. And maybe to not do what they should be doing. And I think that's absolutely universal uh, across every demographic. I wanted to build on your alliteration. I well, couldn't let, me, let me ask you it. a question. Do you think that
0: advertisers are insufficiently manipulative if they actually took some of the lessons from the way some of the political... Dialogue is driven, which clearly works. You would think, and you go back to Vance Packard and the history of advertising and hidden persuaders and so forth, do you think some of that's been lost and maybe needs to come back?
3: There are a lot of emotional strings that get pulled in service of a brand campaign that speak more to a movement or emotion than actually the product that it's meant to sell. And you can make arguments that maybe none of those really actually sold the products they were meant to sell, they just actually made the brand get credit for a particular kind of message. And maybe there's like a long
0: strategy Are you saying that purpose-driven marketing
3: is somehow manipulative? I think it often is manipulative. So not somehow, just is. The advertising isn't going to have a budget, to your point, unless that budget is meant to give some kind of return. We all want to believe that companies are out there spending money and that consumers want to engage with brands and companies that are doing things that are good, for society. But I think most of the time, very large corporations are doing things. I'm so jaded in advertising that are good for society is because that's what the research
2: says that consumers want. I think purpose-driven marketing, if it really is a fundamental part of the brand behaviour, that's fine. And I think with Warby, they're phenomenal at almost everything they do socially, Mm -hmm. uh, how they link digital to physical. I think a lot of their activations in many of that is good. And when they actually lean, you know, they don't overtly have to lean into their—it's an underlying part of their business model because it was baked in right at the beginning. But I agree with you. I think everyone's now trying to adopt these new behaviours And I think they're struggling between now it being a social cause and actually being a brand behavior at the fundamental level. Uh,
1: Yeah, I think it's also just important to step back and think about even what the pain point is for these brands that's causing them to go to the feed. Nike came to us and they said, okay, so millennials and Gen Z kids aren't going to our dot-com as much, right? And they obviously don't open up email. And they're in messaging, what's been called stark social. So how do we reach them? That has to be sort of like what an agency and a creative shop really looks at when they think about this is not just sort of doing the exact same thing and mapping it on. And I think when brands and their agency partners take a step back and really think about what this new medium is that's driven around visual communication. When I think of the feed, if I have to define the feed, I think it would be like a real time visual heartbeat of the creative collective consciousness, right? That's, that's, that's that's a
0: thing of beauty. Or yeah, from your, from can, your can, can someone just check that that is 140 characters <laughs> or less? Yeah, because if it isn't, it's the greatest lost tweet
2: of our generation. <laughs> Thank you, um, Vivian. Sorry, but like a heartbeat, it's, it can be calm, it can be fast. Absolutely, uh, it can absolutely, be. It's, it's, it can be, it could it's be it's many things, there. but that's the th- yeah, that's my or point. Even is a- that rhythmic. like it
1: could be a-rhythmic But like when I check my feed, I do I see it as this combination of brands I care about and people I care about and what's happening in that given moment in the world. So that's right?
0: super interesting. So you actually see your feed in a way as a kind of meta and extended you.
1: Yes, completely.
0: That's very interesting. Right? Now, I like I that. Like, I'm, I'm intrigued by this. We're well, going to a good place. that's why I feel place.
1: like it's so, like, sacrosanct. That's why I got so upset before <laughs> with the, like, duck analogy is just because I feel like brands can't just shove anything into that feed. Like, if it's an extension yeah. of me then I don't want it. And again, to be fair, I think we're all maybe older than the audience who's necessarily the person spending more time in their feed.
0: But not our aging listeners.
1: Well, <laughs> correct. You know, I'm also 41. So that doesn't, you know, so...
0: <laughs> Paul and no, I but, are 41 plus tax right, and service. Exactly. <laughs> no, but I, I really
1: do think the way I look at my feed is the way my friends look at their feed, which is, it's a virtual version of me. And so as such, I want it to feel decluttered of anything that I don't actually believe in. What's exciting about where the feed's going, if we think about the chatbot space, so like the ecosystem of chatbots built on top of Facebook Messenger, is unlike traditional advertising, chatbots are all opt-in. So in the feed, you can't opt out of advertising, right? If you wanna be on Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat, you have to assume I'm gonna look at some amount of branded content. Now, what I try to do is curate that, so I'm really seeing content that inspires me or provokes me or does something Mm -hmm. exciting. I think with chatbots, it goes even one step further, which is you have to opt in. A chatbot can't just come along and say like, "Hi, Rob," like I'm going to start talking to you. That's so, just not how no, it works. To be clear,
0: some of my best friends are chatbots. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, no, but in that case, obviously, if you're going to opt into this thing, it better damn be good. It's got to make some utility. So yesterday for Marriott Hotels, we launched a booking bot so you can give it intention, which is NLP is to understand your intention. So my intention is to go to Denver uh, and stay there for three days. Show me a hotel that I'd like. That's providing a real utility. Yesterday for Nike, we launched a bot that lets you take a photo of any particular, say you see you're at an art exhibit, you see an amazing installation, you take a photo, you're really inspired by it. It will auto-generate a pair of Air Max that are the colors that you saw in the installation, and you can buy it there. I did it today; it took less than two minutes. I ended up spending $130. There's ways to do this. There's ways to advertise that provides value and is interesting and compelling, and then it, it, people. It's easier
3: it. to appeal to, and maybe more natural to appeal to, like kind of the bottom of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, mm-hmm. which is like a utility situation like that, then trying to appeal to somebody, to your point, in a more feed-based environment where they're consuming as much as they're creating mm-hmm. or vice versa, right? Where they feel the need to like have that representation of themselves and every engagement that they have might or might not be rebroadcast to somebody else. Yeah. By definition, though, advertising is interruptive. The best advertising, the most effective advertising, I should say, has always been interruptive, right? Whether it's been a page in a magazine or if it's a television commercial yeah. or a Trailer before a movie, you've got a captive audience that wants to see something else, and that's your opportunity to put something in front of them. I don't think there's anything wrong with that.
1: So, with sort of conversational technology, right, which is where it's all moving, I wake up in the morning, maybe I ask Alexa for a recommendation for something. There's an opportunity, obviously, for a meaningful brand connection. So, it's like, give me a breakfast recipe, and it's like, oh, here's this thing, and these eggs brought to you by so-and-so brand. And then I'm in an Uber, and I get another recommendation through a chatbot, and then I get to work, and then there's something that's related to the other two interactions I just had. And I think that idea of moving from conversation to actually typing back to conversation is where it's all going, and, it, and so thinking about how does that weave in in a valuable way. I think it's Black
3: Mirror Season 1, Episode 2. Totally. And-
1: It totally is, I know.
3: (laughs) So we know
0: that Vivian wants to wake up in the morning to find in her feed or her AI environment a recommendation for a breakfast recipe. So, Paul, when you wake up in the morning and at our age... That in and of itself is good news.
2: <laughs> I thank God.
0: Was it Lord Shaftesbury who said, I wake up in the morning, I open a copy of the Times, I read the obituary columns, and if I'm not in there, I go back to bed. <laughs> and so when you get up in the morning, actually, which feed do you look at first? Uh, that's Twitter guy, Facebook guy, Instagram.
2: Instagram. It yeah. really? was kind of a great morning Instagram moment. For no, you? it would be someone like you uh, who's probably got up three hours before me. He's crossing Williamsburg Bridge, heading to JFK, and it's the so you want awesome.
0: that kind of inspirational, this is my town, and uplifting kind of moments in your face. Ian, First feed of the
3: day is my uh, notification screen on my phone. Oh, I, yeah. me too,
1: I, for sure. Okay. Curated
3: to the point where yeah. <laughs> that's so, my most optimized. So
0: give me a sense
3: of what's in the. Completely breaking news notifications. <laughs> right. Uh, Donald Trump. Right. Important emails from a senior client. Something that I'm tagged in, say, from my wife to make sure that I heart it, like it.
0: Okay. Something you're tagged in by your wife. So if Cheryl tags you, <laughs> yes, right? So if yes. Cheryl tags you, you have a notification yeah. to tell you
3: to like something Wait, your so own you're wife has tagged you are beholden to someone
1: else's social media feed I'm optimizing do- my that life. That sounds horrible.
3: listen. I mean, it makes my life much, much easier.
1: No,
0: I mean, what? it's the food of love in your feed. <laughs> it,
3: is, it is, I wow. think that's incredible.
0: It is. I think that's one of the all-time great podcast admissions. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, I don't know how many podcast admissions there have been. That's an absolute beauty. Thank that's you. great. Shall I tell you mine? Yes. Yeah. I saw my day with Twitter in a rather Lord Shaftesbury kind of way. Because if I haven't got any notifications in Twitter, as in a mention or a retweet, I seriously question the possibility of my own existence yeah. at that moment i'm a perfect narcissist and it's the <laughs> only way i know i've existed and i think we get to that crucial moment on tagline when the question is what's, what's your my t- tagline? tagline yeah that's good <laughs> Vivian, is your tagline actually a tagline is your tagline an emoji
1: fair <laughs> enough yes i do like emojis quite a bit but no i actually have a tagline it sounds morbid but it's not tagline is hashtag conversations from the grave Oh. oh, which is a the title of a book <laughs> I started writing, which is about how we converse with people who are no longer physically here, if otherwise died, but they live on through AI and machine learning and deep learning, right? and so, I think that...
0: Six feet deep learning. Yes,
1: exactly. It was the idea I had of what would it be like if we could listen to the conversation between Elon Musk and Albert Einstein, or J.J. J. Abrams and Walt Disney, or Obama and Martin Luther King Jr. I want to listen to those conversations, right? So that I thought, well, okay, well, that's going to happen in the near future, in so, our lifetimes. Yeah, singularity
2: stuff. Well, Beautiful. I'm loving that. Absolutely. Have kind of, you pitched yeah. the story? Yeah. Have you pitched the tag? Yeah. I haven't
1: I mean, pitched it yeah, I've just been writing yeah. it.
2: I've got a slight fear of peaking early here uh, on <laughs> (laughs) On the (laughs) subject of taglines then. Paul, what's your tagline? It would be hashtag make yourself uncomfortable. I got to that tagline after actually, I've never been someone, I will go to my grave not being happy. I mean, I'm a happy person, but actually thinking there's something around the corner that I should be doing. (laughs) So obviously it means that I've actually done lots of things, even in my career. I've probably never been in a job more than about eight years. Mm -hmm. And it's also, I think, very relevant to what we've been Make yourself uncomfortable means every single day. Whether it's having a cold shower occasionally in the morning, I do that it every immediately morning. makes me. I do that every morning. Every morning, every, because it makes, it makes me uncomfortable. Me uncomfortable. Totally, I and, love that. And I love that, and yeah. then actually you make yourself uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, about it's okay. brilliant.
1: Literally it's brilliant. sitting yeah. okay.
2: down with yeah. people who yeah. I have no idea what they're talking about, but I have to be uncomfortable, uncomfortable with, with people it. around me. who These brilliant misfits who work at Canvas, mm. and they make me uncomfortable every day because you know what? That's part of just learning. If you just sit there in your comfort zone. We're all going to just die. Okay, before you two go get a room.
1: Um, (laughs) And
2: what's your tagline? I'm going to steal
3: an album title. Is that all right? Sure. Of the most recent album from A Tribe Called Quest. It's rooted in the notion that I enjoy watching the status quo die like a disgusting, ugly death. And industrial complexes kind of not realize what's happening to them. So I'm going to go with, we got it from here. Thank you for your service.
0: So my tagline is, whatever today's date is, and the words, best before. (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to thank Ian Schaefer, Paul Wilmington, Vivian Rosenthal. This has been Tagline. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. And... Thank you, Bullet Bourbon, our trusty and loyal and motivating sponsor. Cheers, cheers. Cheers cheers. Cheers.
1: cheers, 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 Arnold Palmer. Cheers.
3: You've been listening to Tagline, presented by our friends at Bullet Frontier Whiskey at the Bullet Distilling Company, Louisville, Kentucky. Please drink responsibly. We want to hear what you thought. Join the discussion on Twitter now by using the hashtag #Tagline. Check out our next episode as Droga5 founder David Droga and Cindy Gallup, founder of If We Ran the World and Make Love Not Porn, join iHeart Media CMO Gail Troberman for a brash conversation about the value of creativity. Catch all of our episodes at iHeartRadio.com/tagline in the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Audiation.